Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a uh, YouTuber, John Williams, aka This Is John Williams on YouTube. The website is thisisjohnwilliams.com. YouTube, again, is This Is John Williams. Uh, John's, you know, according to his bio, he's had a passion for uh, surrounding himself with successful people. 2009, when the market collapsed, uh, John became a real estate agent in Beverly Hills. He sold over $100 million in real estate before the age of 30. He's represented famous DJs, developers, film producers, CEO of NASCAR, etc. John's got a really great YouTube channel where he provides a lot of economic insights that I've watched uh, quite a bit. So that's why I wanted to have him as a guest. So welcome, John. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell me about, uh, so you were in real estate. I don't know if you still are, but uh, how did you transition to doing your YouTube channel and why? Yeah, so I was a real estate agent from 2009 to 2019, and during that uh, whole, I so let me let me kind of pull it back a little bit. So when I was younger, I was about 12, everything was really good, really good in my life. And then what ended up happening, we went through like a really big, like my parents got divorced and went through a really big transition. I moved my dad, and we kind of like started over. And so when I got into real estate, like we lived in like a boarded up house, no electricity. It was pretty bad for about a year. But what that did for me when I got interested as an agent was it put me in a really defensive place, saving a lot of money. And I was living far below my mean. During that period, all I thought about was, well, what happens if something, you know, goes with real estate or if I can no longer be an agent? And so that's when I started investing. Once the investing side took off more than I pulled back from being a real estate agent. And then I kind of built my social media around that. Hmm, okay. And your YouTube channel, uh, what prompted you to start it? And you know, what was it like in the beginning versus now? Yeah. So uh, I initially started on uh, Instagram and like kind of just like showcasing properties, talking about what I was doing. But then ultimately I didn't want, I didn't want to only be on one platform. And so I went over to YouTube because then I could put out more value, more longer form content and kind of have more of a relationship with it because the average the average watch time on a ig video is about three to seven seconds the same with facebook tiktok is probably even less than that and so i uh 
got on YouTube and said, you know, I'm going to make longer form content and build up a, a stronger relationship with my audience. And, uh, and then, yeah, I did that started about two. So what, what kind of topics did you cover in the beginning and how has that evolved to now? What have you been covering lately? Yeah. So two years ago, it was exclusively real estate investing and, you know, uh, becoming a real estate agent, how to make money, what to do when you're just starting out. And then as everything kind of like transpired of the last two, then I started talking more about eviction moratorium, uh, all the changes happening uh, politically that are impacting business in different areas in America, talking about changes coming to the economy. Uh, and then it kind of went more broad uh, as everything kind of like shifted and changed. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like a lot of work goes into the data you present and the analyses. Like, how, you know, without giving away your secret sauce, how do you find all these news articles and all this data and then collate it into a video with a, you know, with a, a goal in mind or advice in mind? You know, it's funny, um, about a year and a half ago, I spent so much time putting together a video, like five hours, and I would just look up topics around things that I was interested in, like through Google, through Facebook, through like Facebook, New CNBC, like all the mainstream, uh, as well as like outside that are like on um, kind of like secondary media online and just kind of like getting a broad view and then kind of like forming my opinion and then organizing it and filming the video. But now when I film a video, it's kind of like uh, I can start to finish the whole video. I usually film the video on one take and it will take me 30 minutes to an hour for a video. Um, so, I mean, on the news every day is just it's so crazy. What kind of perspective is this giving you to do these videos? Like, I, I don't know how many you're doing a week, but what kind of perspective is this continual ongoing research doing? What is it telling you about the economy and the, the near-term future? Yeah, I think we're, I think this whole economy is a house of cards. I think that what is happening right now, we're propped up by, you know, we were propped up by like 0% interest rates, stimulus, and, you know, eviction moratoriums, student loans were optional or student payments are optional, utility bills are optional. The entire economy, everything was like put on a, a grinding halt, standstill. And I think a lot of people are uh, kind of accustomed to or you know used to that type of uh, situation. At least they were for a while. And now we're starting to move out of that. And now interest rates are rising. And a lot of that free and easy money is going away. And I think people are starting to wake up to where this world or this economy could go. If you look at the UK, you look at Argentina, you look at Sri Lanka, you look at all these places all around the world, things are getting much more hectic and chaotic around energy, inflation, food. So I think that America's headed into some uncharted territory. What are your thoughts about the next like, three or four months? The next three or four months, is that what you said? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know it's hard to predict too far out, but what are your thoughts on the next three or four months in terms of the economy? What will we see? Uh, it's Yes, I mean... If Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett can't predict the short term, I sure as hell couldn't. But if I were to have to do that, I would say we're going to see energy bills continue to rise. I think we're going to see. I think the Fed uh, doesn't have as much you know control to like tame inflation as they think. I think what's ultimately going to happen is that the economy is going to come to a grinding halt, and we're going to see a lot of layoffs occur because businesses will simply they're going to you think about it like a small business even tech companies how do they operate small businesses usually operate based on uh, you know income coming in right if consumers are struggling that's going to be a problem for them 
uh, cost of living is rising. It's hard to find employees. I'm going through this myself right now. Like it's like, for example, just yesterday, I had one person scheduled for an interview. He texted me. It was a 9 a.m. interview. He texted me at 9.09 saying I'm sick. He didn't show up. Then I had someone else come in and it was a secretarial job. It wasn't anything like crazy. They had to like kind of operate, you know, emails and stuff like that. He wanted a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's what he wanted. I'm like, they're, they're, like this is this crazy. You know, a few years ago, that would have been a fifty thousand dollars a year job or less. You know, like secretarial work, sitting in an office. You know, um, but yeah, small businesses they're de- they're dealing with higher costs to run their business, a consumer that's going to be under pressure, higher debt service on the loans that they're living on, and a yeah, just an all around tough climate for small business. And we're seeing it right now, even like with tech companies, huge layoffs. That's happening because you know those stock valuations they went through the roof. They pulled out a lot of liquidity. They went on a hiring uh, spree. They hired a lot of talent, expanded, expanded, expanded. Now tech stocks are getting punished. And uh, and what I think is ultimately going to happen from there is uh, they know the economy is going to go through a really big problem. And I think they're getting their cash reserves and, and positioning themselves well for that. They know ad spend across like Facebook, Google, these platforms are going to probably diminish greatly over the next couple of years. Well, when you say diminish greatly, you mean there's going to be a lot less advertisers. Do you think the cost to advertise will go down because of a a drop in demand or what do you think? I I think the cost in advertising is probably going to stay or go higher because people are going to, there's not going to be another way to get in front of the consumer. But I think that a lot of these tech, uh, a lot of these companies target Walgreens, Amazon, a lot of these online businesses are going to be fighting to get in front of a customer. And it's going to be he or she who can pay the most will win. And the big corporations are going to say, you know, I can, uh, I'm buying that value of the customer, not based on today's product that they're going to buy or sell, but based on the lifetime value of that customer. And a lot of small businesses aren't going to be able to do that. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Oh, so you think the advertisers on social media will turn towards more large advertisers that can still afford it and the little guys will go away? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what about in terms of uh, retail, e-commerce, shopping? I guess we'll see some demand destruction there. But what is that going to look like for these, you know, these, again, small versus large retailers? Yeah, so I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet that over the next five five years, we're going to see a lot of brick and mortar retail get repurposed into storage units, into into like different different uses. We're going to see malls kind of get transformed and uh, repurposed, even for like housing. We're going to see offices get repurposed into housing. We're already hearing a lot about that, like with offices getting repurposed. But yeah, we're going to see all that happen because. Uh, that I also think e-commerce is going to start to like a lot of these like pop-ups, like there's like ghost kitchens. That's going to be a thing, but I think there's going to be a lot of pop-ups for e-com in a lot of these small mom and pop strip centers where they can pull product in and out like daily, extract more value from those units. But I think there's going to be like a lot of small little pop-up e-com 
uh, venues that are going to be parked inside of these strip centers. They might even share locations. Like you might be able to rent a location if you're a business and park in a day, two days, three days. Yeah, I guess like a real small example is uh, there's a coffee shop near me that half of it's a bicycle shop, half of it's a coffee shop. They share the same open air space and I guess it works for them. Yeah. Oh, that works perfectly for them. Anyone getting a coffee is going to walk around and look at the bikes. And then, you know, it's only a numbers game. Some of them will probably buy. People then they're getting uh, their tire changed out or, you know, get a new chain on the bike or get new wheels or whatever. They're probably going to have to wait a five, 10 minutes. Why not grab a ice and a latte while you're waiting? Right. Um, what do you think is going to happen with, with consumers? I guess their, their money is going to be squeezed and uh, they're going to, you know, I mean, between food and energy costs and housing, that would suck up a lot more of their income. So what do you, what do you see is happening with consumer behavior over the next year or so? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my honest answer, and sometimes like people will say, oh, John, you're being doom and gloom, but it's not that. Like if, if you just look at it and say, okay, real inflation is 20%, right? Or 15%, many would argue. If you're making $60,000 a year, then you're, you're taxed and now your real income is probably somewhere around 40000 or 45000 after you take into consideration taxes, right? So maybe you're making 3300 bucks a month. You're making $3,300 a month and everything is getting much, much more expensive as we continue to go. 3300 a month is not much if you are renting a one bedroom apartment, you have car insurance, you have gasoline, you have to feed yourself, you need clothes on your back. And you, you know, like, before you know it, you're, you're living in, in credit card debt. And so if we're stepping into an environment where uh, everyday consumers going to get crunched, and small business is kind of getting, you know, pushed to the breaking point, many would argue, we're seeing a lot of the wealth go straight to the top. So I think what's going to happen is that the consumers are going to be the middle class will be forced to kind of sell assets that maybe they never wanted to sell to make ends meet and the wealthy that have the money at the top are going to realize hey it's just you know junk fiat currency i might as well park it into something that can't be replaced go buy single family homes rental properties infrastructure and those type of things so i think that the smart entrepreneur will do well but those that are living in kind of denial saying that hey you know this isn't happening i think that's a problem or i think it's going to be later a regret so, yeah, I think it's going to get harder. It's time for everybody to really think big and kind of build out a plan based for the change. Well, with real estate, it looks like, um, you know, a lot of people have been piling in over the past year and a half. You know, now that rates are going up tremendously and everything, what, what do you think is going to happen with real estate? You know, again, people's cash is being eroded by inflation, but now real estate is very difficult and the return on it, the cap rates seem to be incredibly low. Do you think money will move somewhere else and the real estate market will fall quite a bit, or do you think it'll still pile into real estate because people don't know where else to do to park their cash? I think real estate's in big trouble. I think it's in bigger trouble now than it has ever been. Um, and the reason I say that is look at the last two years, everyone and their mother, brother had to buy multifamily property homes and be like the next guy on HTV. But what's happening now is we're walking into an environment where interest rates went from 3% to 7% where there's going to be 1.5 million to 1.7 million new homes coming to market over the next six to 12 months from home builders all over the country that likely won't have the buyers or the prices that they needed to get uh, to close those deals. What are they going to do? They're going to turn to like a rent to own model. So we're going to have more rental inventory. What's going to happen with all the retirees that thought their retirement was set? They're not going to be able to, you know, they're, they're not going to want to sell their property, but they might have to, or they're going to rent the property. But many people don't have a million dollars in cash for a retirement plan. They're sitting on social security. 
So I think what we're going to see is a lot more inventory. And we're going to see a lot of home sellers like, damn, I missed the market. I should have sold that are going to list their home for rent because they don't want to sell it. And then you got people that simply lost their job and they're going to say, I have a mortgage to pay. What can I do? It's either rent it or sell it. So like you're going to have a lot of people that are going to start listing inventory. And so you ask yourself, what does supply and demand do? Generally bring rents down. I think we're going to start to see a lot of rents kind of come down. I think that people that bought buildings on like a five cap that can't handle uh, those rent reductions that are likely going to be coming and higher interest rates, like you can't refi a commercial building if you have vacancies going up, cash flows going down and interest rates doubling if you bought it on a five cap and you put 30% down, it's going to be harder to get that refi. Yeah. Well, I mean, all problems. well, so there will be forces that will, uh, will, you know, there'll be a lot more rentals on the market, but also too, I mean, less people will be able to buy homes because of interest rates. So wouldn't that also be a countervailing force against the excess inventory of rentals? Again, people need a place to live. Uh, will that drive more people to look for rentals and thereby keep the price maybe stable? No, so I think um, I think that one of the big curveballs coming to the rental market that people aren't talking about um, is going to be rent control and tenant uh, housing provisions or these like protections that are going to come in and really kind of like take away a lot of the power landlords have. I do believe that we are going to see some uh, some challenges coming for landlords. I do think that there's going to be a lot of people renting, but you'd probably be shocked by how many people right now are already forced to rent. So more people like that are that are qualified to buy but maybe now can't because rates have went up. I don't think that that will stop them. They probably will buy just at a lower price point down the road if they were forced to, you know, like, yeah, I don't think it's going to make a huge impact. I think that rents are coming down. Um, now again, it's all totally speculative, but the, the Fed, some people are talking about the Fed pivoting, even though the Fed saying, oh no, we're going to keep raising rates. You know, the Fed doesn't really, they seem to change what they say all the time. But do you see them continuing to raise rates or are they going to get scared and skittish at some point soon and stop raising and maybe lower? Yeah, I don't know. Like if you look at uh, Europe, they kind of did a U-turn. I think that what could happen is that they do move into like a QE type of environment, maybe sometime next year. Uh, Even though they said that they're not going to, it is possible. So I wouldn't say it's completely outright crazy. I mean, they're already talking about universal basic income and like all these differences with the country. So it wouldn't shock me, but if they do do that, it would not issue any type of like long-term solution. All it would do is put more like distrust in the Fed. It would push more inflation and it would make things ultimately much more painful for everyday Americans. It just would probably delay it a little bit. Are you there? Sorry, John. It, uh, it was freezing for a minute. Okay, we're all good. So we don't know if they're going to pivot or not, but I guess I guess the Fed is between a rock and a hard place. If they keep raising rates... The economy is just going to get worse and worse if they pivot. Uh, you know, I guess the one one percent left of trust anyone has in them will that will evaporate too. But I mean, what do you think? You think that again, we're just going to see like kind of a wishy-washiness from the Fed, or who knows? I think this is like a, a demolition of the middle class. That's what I think, and I don't think there's any way around it. I think you know, if you look at what happened, I mean, they said in twenty by twenty thirty, you'll own nothing and be happy. That they said it's a cyclic statement. So I think that. Like if you look at who actually said that, the World Economic Forum, which is, uh, you know, uh, Angela Merkel, Biden, like every world leader. So they're like, if you, there's even pictures with them at the summit. So it's like, if that's what they're saying, I would imagine that there's probably going to be pain coming. And to, to think that, you know, maybe it's conspiracy or not true. If you just look at it, like Xi Jinping is at the, all the people that 
are making a lot of the shots are at those meetings. So I wouldn't call it. I think that ultimately we are headed in that direction. Yeah, that's terrible. Just to go back in time a little bit. So you said you started real estate in 2009. I guess essentially you started while uh, real estate was still crashing. So what kind of insights did that give you? Like, how were you able to make deals when the market was, you know, probably in terrible shape and there wasn't much lending in 2009? What was that like for you? What does that tell you? Yes, I think that um, I think when you start or you're you kind of get industry when things are really good in perspective, when you get into things are you know quote unquote bad at all perspective. So like I had a clear outlook because I was able to look at home sellers that just lost everything, and I was able to look at home investors, property investors that didn't lose everything. In fact, they were getting ready to make millions. And so like looking at looking at real estate through both lenses when I first started out, I think gave me a lot of clarity. And it always kind of kept me cautious. And like I, I was cautious, but I was always asking myself what could go wrong in a deal. And as long as I could always uh, withstand the downside and the upside was a mold of the potential downside, you know, I was willing for today. Well, what, what advice would you have for people that, uh, let's say, uh, you know, someone's a small time landlord, they have two, three, four properties, or maybe they have more. What would you tell them to, you know, to consider doing over the next year or two to keep themselves from blowing up? Yeah, I mean, good question. So I would say some of them would be making sure you have the right tenant. And the other thing would be, I wouldn't get greedy on rent. Like a lot of landlords are greedy on rent. And it like, the reason I say that is because people can find themselves being penny smart, dollar stupid, meaning they'll charge, let's say the market rate is 1500, and they might be able to get 1550. But what ends up happening is they end up attracting a tenant that might not be higher quality. So I personally would go rent my unit. I would list it for rent for $13.50 and get 20 applications. And then I would try to get someone that's going to pay me six months up front or four months up front. And that would, they would start paying rent immediately. But on the back end of the lease, they would, they would start eating away at that four months. So let's say it was expiring in December. Then like come August, that would lose one month. September, lose a month. October, like, and it would go on that way. Just to make sure I'm getting paid, especially if I'm in a place like California. Yeah, well, if, you know, I, I, I would, well, actually, where do you think um, rent control, price fixing and all that will occur first? That seems to be a, uh, a common and, you know, terrible remedy that, that governments uh, institute when, when things are, you know, troublesome. Do you think that's likely? And if so, where? That's coming all over America. Um, I know it sounds crazy. People might not want to hear that. But if you look in Tampa, Tampa came out and they're pushing a very small level of rent control. Not big, nothing like California. But they are starting to open up a dialogue about rent control. In Miami, they're moving into a housing emergency. They have. Colorado, I think, has rent control now. Uh, certain parts of Colorado. Texas, they were talking about something in like a small area. Uh, there's like a few other cities that are also talking about it. So Philly, I think, was talking about it. So they, there's like a bunch of places that are all talking about. So if you ask me, if we're stepping into a situation where there's like more of a, an affordability problem and people are forced to rent, there's going to be a hell of a lot of people that are fighting for quote unquote protections for the renter. Well, have you seen when there's rent control, the rates are ridiculous or are they still enough where, um, you know, if you, let's say you have like a, a property not leveraged to the hilt with a decent interest rate that you could still at least break even or cash flow? Well, it all depends on the uh, it all depends on the rent. Like for example, in LA, you can have tenants that are paying eight hundred dollars a month, thousand bucks a month, uh, that have been there for twenty years that you're not able to. So, so you would just basically be stuck with that tenant. 
and those tenants have access to public council, BASA, like these public, these uh, tenant advocacy networks that will represent the tenant for free, where the landlord would actually have to come out of pocket. So it's like, a, it's like the different, like you really have to know what you're doing with us in a place like California, like you really, like, especially now. Um, but I think that people should be paying close attention to what's happening politically inside of the market, which they're investing in, because we will ultimately find change. If you start, if you're already starting to see small things that are happening, I could promise you that it's more that the only going to grow over time. So make sure that you're, you know, kind of factoring. Well, what characteristics of a real estate market would you consider to be perhaps, you know, possibly safer than other ones? Like, you know, you mentioned California and New York, they're pretty strong tenant advocacy states. It seems like, you know, should investors consider states where let's say they're more landlord friendly, or do you think all this is going to kind of equalize and go towards, uh, you know, helping tenants more? Oh yeah. Over the next 10 years, it's all going to go tenant. Like we're already seeing it. Like they're talking about universal basic income. They're talking about, you know, like the stimulus environment, all that, like that is becoming more normalized. If you, if, if you just simply do like a Google search and type in universal basic income, you'll see all of these pop-ups. I just did a video today. I posted it or I did it yesterday. I posted it today uh, talking about universal basic income and it's coming to places like Florida and Texas. So I do think in the short term, Florida and Texas will remain like very uh, pro landlord, but over the over the coming years, we're going to be moving more more aggressively. So, uh, do you think real estate's going to be again? It's not going to do well. Is this going to be for many many years, or how long do you think it might be until uh, real estate maybe rebounds or comes back into vogue? I think real estate's going to be stepping out of that euphoria, and it's going to come back to like a better place for an investor to get in. The last couple of years are just like mania where people had to get in. So I think real estate is an incredible investment. I just think that you have to be very smart with the amount of debt you take on a property. You have to understand the risk associated politically in that environment. And you have to make sure that you're positioning yourself well. And every mm, Okay. And then, you know, for people listening that are concerned and they want to do something to help bolster their income or at least ride out the coming storms, uh, any suggestions for them on what they could do or look at or, you know, how can they act in such a way as to to help themselves going forward? Yes, I think one really smart thing to do, like let's say for you are a roofer or a plumber or uh, you have like a, a job in which, you know, it's like a traditional traditional job in America that, you know, maybe didn't need social media a couple of years ago. It was like word of mouth, local community jobs, like the, the traditional American jobs. I think that a smart thing to do now to position yourself would be, to write out a list of like, let's say 50 or 100 topics that every single customer that hires you ask. So like all the questions that they're wondering, you can do a video and put it on YouTube and talk about, oh, this, that. And you're like, you go through the entire question, uh, helping them find a solution, even helping them save money on it. Like you go through that and you do have 100 videos. What's going to happen is you're going to have people all over the country typing in a search on YouTube. You're going to start to like pretty much grow authority through that. And then you're going to be able to use that authority to start uh, segueing relationships and connections with other people in the industry that might have a little bit more authority. And then before you know it, people start to know you as like a household name inside of plumbing or inside of roofing. I mean, you literally can film these videos with your cell phone. All my videos to this day are still filmed my cell phone and like a $20 money that I got from Amazon. So you literally film those videos. Maybe you do like one a day or you know every every two days you release a video. And then what's going to ultimately happen is you might have people that want to buy a course from you. You might have people that uh, you might be able to even start your own referral network where you're referring leads for people that need plumbing jobs all throughout the country and getting a small 
five, eight, ten percent fee. Like there, there's going to be so many different ways that you can leverage this. But I think what's going to happen is that business owners aren't going to be able to advertise on Facebook. A lot of small business owners. So where are they going to go? They're going to try to advertise with influencers and do small brand deals. So I think that now is the time to get on social media and try to grow and scale a YouTube channel, Instagram channel, uh, grow and scale it because you're getting in front of all these people for free and you can't beat that price. Yeah. What industries do you think are going to uh, weather the storm best or actually do well? And which ones do you think are like, in really bad shape going forward. Yeah, uh, good question. So I had a conversation with a gentleman named uh, Peter Siegel. He owns, he's a hedge fund uh, guy yesterday, two days ago. Um, and I'm releasing on my channel tomorrow. He just bought a plumbing company. And he's like, the reason I bought the plumbing company is because if you look at a lot of people that are in the trades, they're 50, 60 years old. They're leaving the industry. The young people aren't in trades. And what's going to happen is there's going to be an upward demand of people that need those, those jobs and supply and demand. Prices are going to be going up. And so I'm like, interesting. So yeah, I think that the trades are still like really good. I think the trades are a great way to, to make money. And I think that we are probably going to see a shortage of that. But I also think that like the, some other really good options would be engineering, robotics, AI, like they're, you know, kind of not for everybody. Not everyone like has that experience or background or money to invest in and do those things. But Really, it's going to be leveraging social media because that's where all attention is. If you look on your phone, you'll probably be shocked at the amount of screen time that you have every single day just on your device consuming information from people that are putting in front of you. Hmm. Okay. Any interesting topics that are coming up on your channel that you want to tease people about? Or um, you know, you're just still searching for the best information out there on the economy going forward? Yes, I started a credit repair business. And what we are doing is uh, I'm partnering up with affiliates, partners, business owners, people that, let's say, for example, mortgage lenders, solar sales, tax attorneys, divorce attorneys. And what I'm doing is in a variety of other industries, like people that are like essentially the gatekeeper for tenants that are for people that need credit to either buy properties, whether it be tenants or uh, so on and so forth. And I'm helping people fix their credit, but I'm also partnering up with the business owner themselves. So I'm giving them a small commission on everyone that signs up, a monthly recurring commission. But in addition to that, they get free advertising on my YouTube channel for their business. So rather than spending $1,000 to run an ad on Facebook to tell people about it, I'll do it for you for free. And then at the end, you'll have a customer that has a better credit score that could potentially buy a product or service from you. So like we're kind of uh, flipping the credit repair model uh, completely. And I think that what we're intending to do over the next year is uh, scale this up to where we're helping tens and tens and tens of thousands of Americans get out of credit card debt, uh, increase their credit score, and uh, improve their life and helping business owners. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. Um, is that program available now? And where can people find out about it? Or is it going to be a few weeks so it comes? No, it's, uh, it's already available now. Uh, just in my affiliate network hmm. alone, just people that are, uh, are supporting the community, uh, sharing content that are... Uh, signing people up. We already have like almost 500 people. We just started on Friday. So wow. cashnow.video. And uh, we've been in business for about two months and we've already helped like a ton of people. I was uh, literally just posting uh, testimonials, different people that we've increased our credit score, removed derogatories from their credit report, really putting people in a better position. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, excellent. Uh, John, so the best place people find you is what, this is John on YouTube, or what would you recommend if they want more of you? Yep. At this is John Williams on YouTube and, and TikTok and cashnow.video. Cashnow.video. Okay. Well, very good, John. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You got it. Pleasure.
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.